0: Hello and welcome to the Science of Footy podcast, we're back for 2019 with your host Liam and Bill. How are you Bill?
1: Yeah, pretty good Lee, it's uh, good to kick things off for 2019. Thought we'd, I think we're going to move in a bit of a different direction this year. Um, I think we're going to be looking more at Supercoach instead of more at, at, at the footy games themselves, um, just something that we both enjoy doing. Uh, Liam, we know that you finished quite high up in the Supercoach last year, not sure what you ended on.
0: Yeah, I was up there quite high for a while, but as you do when you're chasing overall, just ran out of the trades at the end and, and slid, but had a crack for a while. But yeah, we're going to try and bring the science footy take to a bit of the Supercoach stats this year and move a bit away from that uh, football sort of game recap sort of a style and uh, dig deep into some of the things of Supercoach this year and uh, try and get our take on how it might change and who you should start with in your lineups.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're both definitely spending enough time on the, the Supercoach aspect of, of football ourselves that, um, but yeah, I think it's worth moving in that sort of direction, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about here. So, to start off, I think the AFL's brought in some new rules, and I think it's probably going to be pretty interesting to see how those affect the game over the first couple of weeks, and I'm sure you're all pretty anxious to find out how it I- impacts the Supercoach scores. Um, We have a few takes on that. We'll first... Start us off by running through some of those rules that the AFL's brought in.
0: Yeah, there's a few different ones that'll impact. Probably focus a bit on maybe a different line each pod, bring out a few different ones, and maybe start this week looking at a bit of the defender action and move through in the coming weeks. But just on the rules that we think will mainly affect the defenders, there's a few that uh, are coming in this year. First of all, there's um, a few that might affect the defenders, like... Allowing to put their hands in the back in the contest now is not going to be pushing in the back. So we saw in the last few years, no hands in the back. Otherwise, it was a free against. Do you think this might open up some changes in sort of key position players, defenders who maybe got a few free against in that category?
1: Yeah, it could definitely help the scores of some of those key position defenders. Um, this is sort of a, a revert back to the old rule. So this rule's only been in place for a few years here, five mm. years or so. Um, yeah, I think it'll it'll definitely help the one-on-one contested defenders there winning those contests, maybe a few more contested marks back there. Um potentially looking uh, for higher scores there for key positions but I think some of the other rule changes are going to mean that people are looking more at your running and kicking defenders here this year
0: yeah it might mean there's a few more contests if you can have more of a contact with the defender you might bring more balls to ground so maybe a few more touches for the defenders overall might bring up a few scores but I think of all the ones that came in this year this might be one that doesn't really impact the general score of the players
1: few of the other rule changes that the AFL's brought in um one of them is that if a defender or anyone really takes a mark on the defensive line uh the man on the mark now has to move back to the top of the goal square just gives them a little bit of extra breathing room there I think this one's relative common sense uh we've seen you know it's a weird look I think when the player's having to kick from behind that that out of play position
0: yeah just sort of turned into all they can do is kick it long down the line for a throw in now you might see the defenders sort of Having a few more short targets they can hit up, maybe increasing their efficiency percentage might get a couple more points. But again, this one probably won't have too much of an impact on Supercoach, but probably will open up the play a bit. might make it a bit easier to watch as a spectator.
1: We've also got the six 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 rule, the devil's rule. Um, <laughs> positional, sort of the beginning of zones. Some people have said it's the AFL starting to bring in zones, but uh shouldn't be too much of a difference. I don't think simply that you have to have six players in the attacking and defensive 50s. To start the game and and six in the centre square, I believe.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's going to be an interesting one because first look, you think, yeah, maybe it will have a lot of an impact on how your super coach defenders can play because everyone has to have a man. So maybe your, your loose players in defence. So your Jeremy McGovern types, your Tom DeDee's in Adelaide sort of got a few points with those intercept marks starting from the centre square as a loose man, which they can't do anymore but probably teams will find a way around that maybe placing these players on the wing to run directly back into defensive 50 as soon as the bounce goes up do you think we'll see something like that happening
1: yeah i think coaches are going to find a way around this one pretty quickly um you're not going to stop sort of that defensive extra man because it's sort of an agreement between the coaches seems like you know okay you want to play an extra man back in defense we'll either let you or we won't and generally they agree to sort of both play with one back um just makes things easier for themselves i think so i don't think this is going to have a huge change um word out of brisbane i've heard chris fagan talking about how he thinks it might change the game and he's sort of been talking about the importance of having contested ball winning midfielders important to get first hands on that ball because when you do you can spread out and obviously um it'll be in theory a a more of an open forward line to kick to um and as a result he's also spoken about the counterbalance importance of having speedy midfielders who can sort of run and spread in and clear that pack and try and take advantage of that extra space that should be there in theory so that's just one coach's take
0: mm, yeah i think the 666 rule might have more of an impact on some teams than others i hear some stats coming out of champion data about which teams like to start with the seven or eight defenders at the start at the bounce and it's really adelaide and richmond who had a, a large percentage of their games starting with a seven or eight defending players um when we come to bouncers, so maybe it's those teams where you might see a shift in the players scores because they're having different setups than they did last year but a lot of the other teams you saw them mainly at most bounces starting with a 666 so i really don't see the change coming for most teams in terms of super coach scoring from defenders from that so in terms of rules that we think might have more of an impact
1: um directly on super coach scores sort of the talk in this preseason has been about the playing on from the kick-ins um we think this is the one that's probably going to have the most direct link to ghost scores with those players that take the kick-ins, potentially getting some extra points, um Liam, you have a pretty strong opinion on this one. You want to run us through it?
0: Yeah, I do. So for anyone who hasn't seen the rules so far, pretty much the player, instead of being on the mark five meters behind the square, they'll be 10 meters back now. So it's an extra five meters to work with if you're playing on. And now, which is a rule that I hate because I enjoy sort of those looking back at the old rules in the game. You don't have to touch the ball to your boot anymore or kick it to yourself. You can just run straight on. So pretty much as soon as there's a behind that's been kicked, you can have a player getting the ball sort of running up to full speed. So as soon as the, point has been signaled they can sprint off and uh try and get a lot of distance before they can kick it
1: yeah i think this one makes sense like from a gameplay sense you know you don't have to do that little touch to the ground or to your foot or whatever play on to play on any other way so you know from any other position on the ground so i think it makes sense that you can do this from the square
0: yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. I don't like it because I think it'll it'll change the game in terms of how they're playing out. It was sort of before it was a bit of a risk. Do you risk sort of slowing down and touching it to your boot because maybe you'll get caught by the man on the mark? Now it's just like everyone's going to run out of the square. I don't see anyone kicking it from in the square. You'll take that extra step or two steps to make sure you can hit your target and or get some distance to kick it long. But in terms of supercoach, why we think this is going to have a huge impact is previously any kicks that they took from the kick in from within the square didn't count as a possession. And you'd get um, about one super Coach point for an effective kick out of the square and obviously um, slight negatives for if you missed your kick. But now, when you play on and it's a real possession, you're going to get real Super Coach points for every one of those kicks after a kick-in.
1: So the theory here is that obviously kickers, players who take a lot of kick-ins, are going to see an increase in their scores. Um, we've done you know some quick maths here to figure out who might be the most likely players to benefit from that.
0: Yeah, so we ran a, ran a few calculations. So pretty much, if instead of getting one point for the kick-out, these players are playing on for a kick. That's effective. They'll get four points. If they're handballing, three points. And if they get a bounce, you'll get an extra one. So we're sort of averaging that out for if they sort of bounce half the time, kick, handball half the time. You're getting about extra three points every kick out you're taking compared to last year. So we just ran a few uh, quick stats on last year's data. So taking the average kick ins from each team and then for every player, the percentage of your team's kick outs that you're taking and then the percentage of those kickouts that you're playing on to figure out sort of how many points we're looking at extra for different players. And yeah, we pretty much readjusted last year's averages here to get a look at what players would have theoretically scored last year if they were playing on from every single kick-in rather than the small percentage that they were before.
1: So good news for those of you who like to uh, spend big at the start of the year on those super primos, because the player who, under these calculations, would get the biggest benefit as of last year is... uh Lloyd so he's la, la, gone, la, la,
0: Lloyd. <laughs>
1: gone up a whole 15 points uh, on his average we're not saying that he will go up 15 points necessarily but based off these calculations he would uh, go up 15 points there uh, second you've got Luke Ryan from Fremantle going up 14 points and a few players who are going up above 10 as well you've got Wilson uh, you've got Short and Hearn. So Hearn, yeah. possibly a super catch option again.
0: Very much. It's, it's very interesting why these players are getting these points as well. So Lloyd, it was because he took such a high percentage of Sydney's kickouts and the Swans as a club had a lot of kickouts for the year. They had a lot of behinds kicked on them. Whereas for Ryan, it was, he was actually splitting the kickouts with Wilson. But he never played on. He played on, like, only a couple of times. He was always kicking it from the square. So his percentage boost would theoretically be a lot higher if every kick out he's playing on now rather than the small amount where he would have gotten points last year like other players. So it's interesting looking at how these different players would get more points. But, yeah, it's really those top end of Lloyd and Ryan and these players getting these boosts. And Lloyd's crazy because that sort of 15-point boost would have made him a 127 average player last year. That'd be insane if you've got a player that's, you know, top, you know, three, four, five in the scoring in the comp in your defensive line. It's it's pretty massive.
1: Yeah, so we could potentially see a pretty big shift here in terms of how defenders are valued, um, particularly in your sort of draft style options. Um, so with these new averages, if it did improve sort of along these lines, you'd now see 20 defenders who are all 90 plus Uh, averages over the season including seven averaging over 100 and as you mentioned lloyd jumping into that 125 plus average category which puts you into first round draft pick calculations in a draft league you know top five draft pick really
0: yeah so to put that in perspective for people we had 11 scoring 90 plus last year But if you're adjusting these, like we've said, it's a bit of a touch and go whether this is how it goes. But assuming they are going to play on in every kick-in, there's going to be more points available for the defenders. So we're going to have to adjust our draft strategies to maybe look to get some of these defenders in our team at different parts of the draft. And it also means that in regular Supercoach, we're going to have a lot of these high-scoring defenders like Rory Laird, who didn't take the kick-outs for Adelaide. So his 108 average just became a 110. But then you're looking at some other people, like we said, your Hearns and your Ryans, who were mid-90s averages who are jumping up to a very similar level than Lloyd and you can save a lot of money in that um, salary cap format.
1: So it'll be quite interesting. We've had a few discussions about how this will work. You're pretty solidly in the camp limb of it improving these scores relatively dramatically. Um, I'm a bit more cautious. I'm not ready to load up on kickers just yet. Um, just... I tend to think champion data will do something fudgy to sort of <laughs> figure, figure, I'm just not really sure they want defenders scoring this highly um, comparatively, or this bigger jump, depending on one specific rule, um, or really 100% sure what we see in terms of gameplay, um, whether there's as many behinds kick, maybe teams are more cautious with their shots at goal, trying to get them into a better spot, because, you know, kicking a behind is sort of this large negative now, if it's a pretty quick transition from one end to the other, really not sure, but... At the same time, I am looking at these stats and I have, you know, in my regular
0: team at the moment, I am running
1: Lloyd, I am running Ryan. So there's definitely something to think about here for sure.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting because we have sort of lots of ways you can look at this. If these points are going up for these in particular defenders that have taken the kickouts, because the way Supercoach weights points it's going to come from somewhere else. So we're going to see these kick-out players increasing their scores, we're going to see other players potentially also defenders or in other parts of the ground who are scaled down so their scores become sort of lower if you're having these players increasing from the kick-outs. The thing I think will be hard for us as coach players is we know it's going to increase because they're going to get more possessions from the kick-out. Player scores are going to go up from that. But it's the amount that they will change, which I think will be a bit different because... I'm not 100% sure the players that we had taken kickouts last year will be the ones taking kickouts this year. So the um, Luke Ryan one's a fantastic point. has been in and out of my team because, as we said, the stats say that he should go up such a high number, but he was sharing kickouts with Wilson, and we know Wilson's a gun runner. Are they going to look at, say, the AFLW teams who have already brought in these rules, who are playing on every single kickout, but they're playing on in terms of getting that distance down the ground, which we know the women's game Sort of, uh, you need that a lot more in the women's game to try and get your distance. But in the men's, are we going to see a similar thing where you see maybe Ryan taking less kickouts so Wilson can run and gun every time and get the distance? Or are we going to see a change into different players who weren't taking the kickouts last year? It's it's really hard to invest in a player like Ryan if season comes and he's not taking the kickouts and you don't see that jump in points.
1: Yeah, so a lot to be said, I think, for keeping. A close eye on the jlt form here notice who's taking the kickouts who's not if it does have as big an impact as uh as potentially could then yeah in terms of your draft and regular super coach leagues could come down to drafting those those kicker style players who are going to be taking a lot of kickouts this season
0: yeah so anyone who's interested in those lists we might get a little summary up of what we've done to the data and maybe put an excel sheet up on uh on twitter or something we'll list a twitter handle at the end that you can go to look for that and people can look through the data themselves and sort of take their opinions on whether they think you'll see such a dramatic increase in scores for these players so
1: i've been looking at um you know other people's super coach teams who post them online and you know rate my team style things and one thing i've noticed is that pretty much everyone has either jake lloyd or rory led in their team and very few people have both um you know, people tend to tend to want to have at least one of those super premiums as you might call them in, into your team and Really what this data is saying, I guess, is maybe you should go for the more expensive one in Jake Lloyd.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I've got a pretty hot take here. I'm completely off Rory Laird this year. I think he's a player that obviously racks up the touches and sort of is a guaranteed lock, you'd say, top 10 defender. So picking him at the start is quite safe. But I really don't like the pick this year when we see these other potentially kick out players, which we already said. Rory Laird isn't one of those that are going to get this boost, but you're seeing players like Smith, who has been told by the coaching staff into the media that he'll be the one taking the kick out. He's coming into this team, and the two games that Smith and Laird shared last year, Laird only scored 76-84. and In the two seasons before last year's 108, we saw Laird score more of a 96-100 to 100 average with Smith in the team. So with these players coming back in to take points like Smith and hopefully a healthy midfield there for Adelaide with your Crouches and your Sloans playing most of the year, there'll be less points to go around. And to pay 587 for um, Laird when I've got other options around, I'm really not a fan this year.
1: So just in terms of premium defenders as a whole, You've got the top eight there, you've got Doherty who's been removed from that list, obviously he's going to be out for the entire year. And then looking at the rest of the list there, you said you're not too keen on Lloyd, and then if I'm looking through it, you've got Simpson, who's probably going to score a decent clip, but he's getting quite old. Same with Hearn, we probably expect him to be scoring pretty well, but I tend to shy away from these players on the wrong side of 30. So who does that really leave me as options in, in premium defender spots?
0: I think, yeah, Jake Lloyd has to be a lock for everyone from what we've said from our our data. We, we can see him being number one quite clearly, potentially, but definitely being up there. Laird, as we said, I'm not a big fan, but that leaves us with only a few options. Sort of it depends how safe you want to go. I think Whitfield at this stage is a really safe pick. He's had a pretty much 100 average last year and 98 the year before. Still sitting there as a defender for us. Really looks like a safe choice. Had two 130 games in his Elim and semi-finals last year as well. Is a really good sign for things to come. Do you like the Whitfield pick?
1: Yeah, so Whitfield's currently sitting at my D2 spot. I just think he's a bit safer than some of the other picks around here. So, as I said, I'm not really too keen on on your old boys, Simpson and Hearn, starting with them because who really knows how that's going to go. Um, and then the other option who's up there at the moment is Sicily who... Really, at this point in time, we just can't really pencil in for, you know, 20-plus games. I don't think he's really done it many times, if at all. Last year, obviously, most of us had him in our teams with that dual forward defender position. And, you know, we watched him play about what, 14, 15 games last year. Yeah, so 14. Yeah, not really someone that I'm too trusting of, although I do think he has high scoring
0: potential. Yeah, I mean, as you said, from those 14 games, 11 of those he went 90 plus, and he had some huge scores in there, uh, 135, 145, so we know he can score. We know he loves to ki- take the kick-ins as well. Last year he had, I think it was the most kick-ins for the club, with the second being Ryan Burton, who isn't there anymore. So there's going to be a lot of emphasis placed on him taking those kick-outs and getting that boost in score. As you said, it's just whether he can get enough games on the park. There's no point having him in there as one of the top scorers if he only plays half the games and you're stuck playing a rookie or trading him out. So it is a bit of a gamble with his injury history and obviously his temperament getting suspended, but I reckon if he can play every game next year, he'll be a little bit of a point of difference, although I think we were talking about this during the week and you said his ownership is pretty high. It's not like we're talking, you know, two, three percent, it's up in that fifteen, twenty mark, so depends sort of what happens but i can see his ceiling as very high it's just a matter of if you can gamble on those games missed
1: so i think one of the benefits for looking at the defensive unit as a whole as we mentioned there's question marks over a fair few of the premium defenders but we do have a lot of sort of underpriced or mid-range you know mid-pricer options who i think there's there's some potential here if you're picking the right ones you know they could easily jump up in price maybe even into that top eight defenders that you're happy to lock in set and forget for the rest of the season
0: yeah, lots of underpriced options as I mentioned with the Laird. You got Brody Smith sitting there at 332k. He had an 82 average uh in the past. Um last year, uh he had 46 and 129 from his two games, so obviously a bit of a warm up there, but then showed his scoring potential. Um do you think Brody Smith is a mid-priced option that can make you some cash?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've seen a lot of teams have either Brody Smith or the other one even cheaper there, Dylan Robertson. Um he's who I've got penciled in in my side, in that sort of position where you might have Smith. Um, I'm just favoring myself with Roberton's higher averages over the past couple of years. So his last three years, he's got 91, 76, and 92 averages. Obviously, he had that heart condition last season, put him out for the entire year. Um, From what I've read, he's back in training. He's doing well, and he should be playing round one. So he's another option there, Dylan Roberton.
0: Yeah, very interesting one, Roberton. As you said, averaged 92 of the last three years that he played. Uh, last year only three games, but that 90, 70, 79 sort of showed that he still has that scoring potential to, you know, push up that 80 90 average, which would, from 297k, make you so much cash. And, um, it's an interesting one with the injury because it's not like he's got a knee that, you know, you're worried about, and it's not like his hammy might go and miss a few games. It was a heart thing, which apparently is being, um, pretty much completely cleared. He's been training for a long time, still has the implant in there to measure um the heart rhythms and they've had him for training and match sim and all of that stuff and hasn't seen any more blips in the in the radar which is really good to hear really interesting option um I think the Saints defensive set-up will be interesting to watch in JLT to see whether with players like Carlisle we might get to that in some future episodes on some um players who are injured and burning up the track and that sort of thing. But Carlisle's had a lot of injuries. Logan Austin's had a lot of injuries. We'll at see someone like Robert and pushed into a playing a bit taller. We like him sort of getting the ball and using the ball on the outside. So definitely one to watch, but at that price, at the minimum, he's going to make you cash, and he could become a keeper, potentially.
1: Yeah, I think so. There's a few others here who could potentially be keepers throughout the entire year. Um, Alex Witherton's got really high ownership for someone who's only in his third year of football. Um, he's obviously caught straight-in, averaged mid-to-high you know, mid, mid to high 80s um, every single game, pretty much. He's played past two years, and he looks set to do it again this season. He'll be taking the kickouts, I imagine you'd pencil him in for at least 85 i think.
0: Yeah, had 87 in his first year and then 84 last year off um 21 games as well. You've got that story of him back when he came to the club coming in and telling all the boys that he was taking the kickouts just when he walked through the door, so you know he's going to be taking them this year and get that boost, but um yeah, as you said, he was with that third-year player meant to break out. Usually they've scored, you know, average of 40 and then an average of 60 and you want them to break out. He he's come on straight away, average 80, average 80. Do you still think that he's got that rise in him this year?
1: Not too sure. Um, word is that he's looking pretty fit, you know, looking stronger, bigger, and, um, yeah, doing well on the track, training well. I, I'm i not really sure whether he's going to, you know, burst through and start start averaging 100 plus or whatever. But I do think he's a, a pretty safe option to lock in for, you. Yeah, like you're at least 85, maybe a bit of improvement, pushing towards 90 scores. Um, for those of you who are expecting him to come out and, you know, sort of match Jake Lloyd or something, I, I don't think it's going to happen, at least not this year, but I think he's a very safe option. He's he's rarely had, a, you know, uh, even really a game where he dips below at least 60 or 70. He just gets too many touches, and to be interesting, though, I'm not really sure what your stats said there, Liam, but in my head, he was playing on a bit already. Not sure whether he'll get too much of a bonus under the new rules.
0: Yeah, it was one of those players that, you know, he wasn't playing on. When we say players play on a lot, we're still talking of, you know, 20% or 25, 30%. We're not talking about people who played on 90% of the time. So they're still going to see such a large increase in scores potentially if we see these players stepping out of the square every single time. But those players who are doing that, we need to see that effective disposal to get the points as well. And with it in someone whose percentage field kicking is just so high that we expect to see that boost from him.
1: So we've got names here for days, to be honest. We could keep reeling them off, but I might just run through a few, and then we'll get your opinion, Liam, on on who you like. You've got Zach Williams sitting there at 407k, a bit cheaper than that. You've got Nick Newman at 394,000. Um, if you want to go very cheap, you've got Pierce Hanley coming back from a few injury-plagued seasons, sitting at 296,000. Um, and then if you get into the even lower ownership levels, you've got Heath Shaw at 492, Jaden Short at 465. Uh, You've got Zach Tui at 460, although he's currently injured, I believe. Uh, And then keep going down in price, you've got Nathan Wilson, you've got Callum Mills, Daniel Rich, Lockie Weller, Batchel Hooley, or Michael Hibbert, all looking pretty cheap there. Are there any of those names that you like, any of them starting in your side?
0: Yeah, a lot of interesting names there. At the moment, with my current setup, I don't have any of them in there, but I've definitely had Zach Williams in and out of my lineup. So he's one that's sitting there a bit cheaper because he missed last year, but he's got that... 88-94 88-94 average behind him so you can expect him to step up there one of those players which are really interesting because if he's taking the kickouts and he's going to get that boost plus he's already at a cheaper price than he should be priced at you know that's value for money right there but again i'm not sure if he will be taking those kickouts we've got Heath Shaw, who sort of was out of the team when he came in for those finals last year and was taking the kickouts you got other players in the team who might be stealing a few of those kickouts from him do you think he will be taking the kickouts for them, and do you think he could be a value option?
1: Yeah, I think so. At four hundred seven thousand, he's definitely underpriced. I think we can expect him to average, you know, around about that ninety-ish that he's done in the past, uh, if not more. Um, I had him in my team as well, in and out. Eventually, upgraded him to Whitfield. Just looks a bit nicer in there, but I think he's a, a legitimate option in your sort of D three or D four positions if you feel, you know, going risky, maybe even D two. But yeah, I think that he's one that's very popular. I'm not sure what his ownership percentage is at but right now, but it must be quite high. Um, one of the other names that I did like in that list was Callum Mills. I haven't seen him in a lot of teams. Um, he's sort of an awkward price, 428000 but all the word I think is that he's quite fit and potentially in line for some of those fabled midfield minutes.
0: Yeah, we hear that every year, I think, with Mills. Sitting there, at 7% of teams. So, there are a few that like him. Sitting there, at what was it, four twenty-eight k? I think it's a expensive for me without seeing him play like full-time mid I think they'll sort of play him sometime midfield sometime behind the ball still and it probably will depend you'll see a lot of salary cap teams running Isaac Heaney I expect in the forward line and to run Mills and Heaney and expect them both to get that boost from midfield minutes you know might not be the uh, best way to go but is definitely an interesting prospect especially for your draft leagues it'd be someone that I'd be looking for he'd be a little bit down the list who should get a boost I think
1: and in terms of rookies, I think the defenders, defensive rookies are looking pretty good this season. Um that's if you're prepared to pay a little bit more. So there's not too many sitting around that 117, 123,000 mark that we can really expect to pencil in for games at this stage, but I think if you're looking to pay more, so just looking at the list here, you've got Sam Collins at 189,000, you've got Jack Scrimshaw 149,000, Isaac Quainer, 153000 153, Connor Rosie 189. Uh, Tom Williamson also at 189. You've got Griffin Logue coming back off a few injuries at 164, and Cedric Cox at 166, and a few cheaper ones, Marty Hoare and Chris Burgess, more your regular priced rookies. But in terms of the expensive ones there, there's a lot to
0: like, I think. Yeah, a lot to like. Obviously, Sam Collins is coming off big raps. Should get those uh, big minutes at the Gold Coast there and get a few intercept touches and touches out of the back line. I think Gold Coast is a very interesting team for these rule changes as well, because last year um, we saw Stephen May take all of their kickouts, so if there is someone to get a boost from Gold Coast kickouts, I think we're yet to see who that is, and it could very well be one of these sort of rookie prize players who we might see get a few bumps up from uh, their normal score.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely something to watch. I know that the, the Gold Coast Suns are playing a practice match against the Brisbane Lions next weekend, next Saturday, I believe it is, so... Um, If anyone gets down to that and willing to share some information with us, um, I'd be very interested to see who's taking those kickouts.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd hazard a guess who might be a good flyer to take in one of your draft leagues. I reckon Jared Harbrow would be the man, sort of one of the last older heads left there, especially in the back line of the club. I'd be surprised if he wasn't taking 80% of their kickouts, and if so, you could see him be one of those players to jump a 10-point average on whatever he had last year, probably around a 75-80 average of before.
1: So looking at some of these other rookies that have a you know a bit more expensive price um i sort of went around to some of the the team boards on big footy had a bit of a read to see who might be willing you know might be looking good for a game or, or you know who's highly rated and, and all that but really all of these players here are are uh, being considered by their clubs or at least by the fans as, as pretty big chances of of having good seasons um so for example griffin loge i know is really highly rated down at Fremantle. um fresh off some injuries looks to be back fit and running and uh Rearing to go, Tom Williamson. High hopes by the Carlton faithful there for that young kid. Uh, Cedric Cox for the Lions. I know he's one of the big improvers. Everyone talking about how he's come back, you know, much fitter, much stronger, looks more focused and uh, could get some games. Do you have a pick of the bunch, Liam?
0: Uh, Pick of the punch there. I sort of like... It depends who plays. It's so hard at this time of the year to pick. I think Collins is the pick of the bunch there. And if, he, if he's named, I think Scrimshaw's is a really good option. That 149k for Hawthorne could slip into that Ryan Burton role there if he is named if he's over his injuries and playing well i think that's a few good bets um the williamson one i think it's a bit expensive for me i don't see him playing enough games in that lineup that has so many sort of highly rated options there as those sort of taller defenders um yeah i can't really see myself paying 189k for someone that i really don't think will play more than you know your six seven eight games this year
1: all right so we definitely think there's some good rookie names we think there's some debate over the uh, the primos there or your super primos and we think there's a lot of good mid-price options so in terms of structures um, there's some interesting ones that I've seen around people running you know mid-price madness or all mid-prices in the defensive structure I've seen people who do rate the rookies along or some of the more expensive rookies there at least along the lines that we do running sort of three or four rookies even on the field in the back line um, everyone has their own sort of structures I think the most commonly stuck to ones you're either running three primos three rookies or three primos one sort of mid-pricer two rookies or you know if you want to call them half primos whatever but i think yeah three or four primos
0: is the way to go yeah it's interesting i think you're gonna need at least four of them to be primos plus mid prices. i think you either need to go three primos one mid-pricer four primos you know two and two however you want to set it up but i don't think you can run like we've done in the past like a, a three primo three rookie or A two primo, four rookie like we have in the past, just with these extra points being on offers. Um, Would you agree to that, or do you think there are different ways you can set up this year?
1: I think there's flexibility. I think you can set up if you're willing to spend the money. So let's say you ran, you know, Lloyd, Laird, Whitfield, and three rookies. You know, you're pretty confident that Lloyd, Laird, and Whitfield are going to be in the top defenders at the end of the year, top six, top eight defenders. Uh, And then you're running three rookies. There's some options there. The only issue I think there is is, you know, you're sort of missing out on some of these valuable players like, you know, Smith or Roberton, um, whoever you're really confident in in those mid-prices. It depends where you like, obviously, your mid-prices in your forwards or in your midfields, whatever, how you want to structure your team overall. I think there are options, but my team at the moment is sitting on a pretty comfortable, you know, three primos, one mid-price, and a few rookies there to top it off.
0: Yeah, my setup's sort of been chopping and changing a bit. I've I've even done the uh practice setup of getting all of these players we've been talking about, your Ryans, your Shorts, your all these players will be taking the kickouts from around that 400,000 mark, you know, your Witherdens, and trying to do a full setup like that, wondering if the team that does win this year will be the one that picks all of these players that are getting that 15-point rise, but I pretty much keep on coming back to rather than spending that four hundred thousand dollars on those players. I'd rather go three hundred thousand on a Smith and a Robin types in my team and just use that extra money to make sure those top two or three primos that I run with are the ones that I really think will be one and two or one, two, three. So we've seen each other's setups some um, and what
1: what's clear between them is that we both rate Lloyd and Whitfield as sort of your set and forgets this season. Think just just in terms of playing it safe, you know, you can take a risk in certain areas in your team, but It depends whether you want to take that risk in your defensive line. And I think at the moment, at the moment, we sort of both don't.
0: Yeah. I think at the moment, there are some of those players at the top who we think could even jump up to that elite level of scoring that potentially having that 110, 115, 120 sort of an average. And if those players are going to be available in the defensive line, if you go without them at the start, you'll be chasing a lot of points. The Whitfield one, I've been throwing in and out for other players, but I want to get your take on where you think his scoring is best, either if he's going to play on the wing or through the guts, or from half back and what do you think the chances are of him drawing the tag this year? We know Dylan Scheel won't be around, and he got a bit of attention last year in a few games.
1: Yeah, I'm not so sure about the tag. I mean, at least myself, personally, he's not the, the, the Giants midfielder I would be picking to tag, but... In terms of where he'll play, it's interesting to note that he has been taking some kickouts at the Giants training sessions, like intra-club games and all that they've been playing. Um, pretty even split between him, Heath Shaw, and Jeremy Finlayson, which is uh, pretty interesting. Also, for owners of Zach Williams, interesting to note that he hasn't really been taking any kickouts, um, at least at this stage. So, it's good news if you are running Whitfield to see he might be getting some of those kickout points, although that maybe indicates he's going to be playing more off the halfback, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's actually very interesting. I I really didn't think before this sort of uh, training came out that he would be taking too many kickouts. Finn Layson's a very interesting one as well because I don't really see him playing that many games. I I wouldn't have thought that he was a lock in their best 22 at this stage. Um, But it it is interesting to hear that he sure is taking a lot. I have even seen a few teams running Heath Shaw with the stats that you can look at that he's been top ten defender pretty much every year since he's uh you know, last ten years he's pretty much been a, a lock in that top ten and he loves to take a a kick out, loves to bounce the ball, he'll probably take six bounces and then boot it up the line and get, you know, ten points off every kick out and we'll see him getting up near the top. Um but yeah, I don't know. I think Whitfield, with his scoring progression sort of naturally, and potentially a few points from kick outs. I think he's the one with Lloyd that I'm going to stick with for my primos.
1: Um, In terms of other similarities between our teams, I've noticed that we're both running Dylan Robertson at the moment, and we've both got Sam Collins there. So pretty similar defensive units for us. Um, I think Robertson's pretty hard to go past at that sort of price. He's in a lot of teams at the moment.
0: Yeah, one of the ones that I've recently brought in, as I said, I sort of like the Smith pick, and he was my mid-pricer, and I originally had... Um, Williams, which I've downgraded to Roberton to to swing my cash around a little bit, but um, you're running a different player in that Smith lineup. I think you're running Luke Ryan at this stage.
1: Yeah, I've got Luke Ryan. I sort of raid him. Um, I've had him in my draft league a few years in a row, and you know he's done me well. I tend to get a bit of bit of an emotional connection to those sort of players, and, and tend to try and slot them into the regular. So it was sort of tossing and turning between having him in there or, or switching him out for you know, as you said, like a Smith type player. But after seeing those stats you pulled up about kick-ins, it's sort of you know, firm to me back into locking him in at the defensive
0: number three spot. So just running through our current setups, I'm running Lloyd, Whitfield, Smith, Roberton, Collins and Scrimshaw. How about you?
1: Uh, similar, I'm running Lloyd, Whitfield, Ryan, Roberton, Collins and Hoare on the field. I noticed that he's on your bench. I think he's in most sides at the moment.
0: Yeah, it'll be a very interesting one. Another mature age, if I'm not mistaken, from Melbourne Football Club. Hopefully going to get a few games for us in there. I think He'll be a good pick, but with all of these players, it'll depend, obviously, JLT, when we hear a bit more about who's going to firm for round one, because obviously I'm not going to be spending all of this money on your Collins and Scrimshaws if they're not going to line up, so it's going to be a bit different. I'm also running a fair few primos and underpriced primos in my midfield, which we might get to in some other podcasts, so I wouldn't be surprised to see me swing one of those into another premium defender if we see a few of these players sort of pumping out huge scores in the JLT.
1: All right, that's probably enough talk about defenders uh, for one podcast. No one really gives a shit about defenders anyway. So, (laughs) um, we'll finish off today by running through the first nine teams. So, the first half of the teams uh, in alphabetical order, running through some of the players who are burning up the track with a a bit of an eye on sort of super coach relevant players. So, rookies and primos, who's injured, who's looking good. And yeah, I mean, that's sort of we've done the reading through all the draft, uh, sorry, through all the training write ups so that you guys don't have to. And uh, here's what we've got. So, first club. Off the rank is the Adelaide Crows. Um, there's a few rookies here. I think I've seen Shane McAdams in quite a few teams, um, although word out of Adelaide training reports is that Ned McHenry, so one of the other Mcs in the lineup there, could be uh, potentially the first rookie off the bat in terms of games.
0: Yeah, as you said, McAdams was one of the first ones I slotted in when I didn't know any of the names, but yeah, Ned McHenry, uh, 179 centimetre, 70kg uh, draft prospect there. Looks like he might get some early look-ins.
1: Yeah, so very slight build there, but apparently word is that he tackles well. You know, he's strong in the contest and that he's probably ready to go. Um, Maybe not round one, maybe round one who can't really tell at this point in time until we see some JLT form. But keep the name in mind, Ned McHenry, uh, priced 139000 could be a good option up forward this year.
0: Always good to get a few of these rookies coming out early which get good wraps from their club because even if they don't line up round one, they're players that when we're looking to downgrade, we might take a bit of a time to look at the write-ups from the clubs at those stages and maybe you'll see that one of these players is close to a debut and you can sort of hold your trades and sort of try and get the right players in for your downgrades. Yeah,
1: so in terms of other names, obviously there's McAdams who just mentioned. There's also Chase Jones, so um, he's another he's another rookie just drafted by the Adelaide Football Club, and they hi- they rated him quite highly over there. Um, apparently he's been training quite well as well, probably behind McAdams and McHenry I think in the lo- um in the list at this point in time. But as you mentioned, it's good to have these names in your back pocket come downgrade time.
0: Now, one that I'm very interested in from the Adelaide Football Club is Wayne Malera, who played half-back and a lot through the back line last season and really had a stretch of games there to close out the year where he had an extremely high average, someone that you can really look at probably in both formats if you expect him to rise, but particularly for drafts might be something that a lot of people might look at if he's in form.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think you're spot on with particularly for drafts here. Um, I sort of one of the first players I did have a look at how much he was priced this year to slot in my team, but he's just he's a bit awkward priced this year in supercoach, so not really sure whether he'll be making it into most regular sort of supercoach teams there, but if you're looking for a draft prospect who you can nab in, you know, sort of third, fourth, fifth, sixth rounds, however good your league is, um, if you can get him, at a, you know, at a, what you would consider underpriced, I think he's, he's primed for a good year, he's very impressive last season, he's come back in really good shape, and he's supposedly in line for those fabled midfield minutes, we'll see whether that comes to fruition, but he was scoring quite well playing off the halfback flank, and he'll probably continue to do that next season.
0: Yeah, I think I'd prefer him even more, but potentially if he stays down back then moves into the middle, he seemed to, when he was playing through the outside midfield, sort of faded in and out of games, where when he was down back he was getting the ball pretty much constantly. Could even be a kick-out player for them, so wait and see on where he plays and uh, sort of what role he takes.
1: We want to keep moving through these, so there's just a few more names from Adelaide I think that are a bit relevant. Um, I'm not sure what his price is in regular, but it's interesting for everyone to note that Darcy Fogarty, um, word out of Scott Campriali, one of the assistant coaches, is there. They're very keen to play him to continue his development. They're not really sure where they see a position for him in the forward line. So it's possible that he plays as a defender at
0: times during this season. Yeah, interesting to see a lot of clubs coming out at the moment and moving some of those young forwards or defenders into the opposite positions often see that happening and sometimes they find a gem in a different spot. I think he'll probably end up at the forward line. He kicks a really nice set shot goal there, but um, interesting to see if he does play down back and get a few games.
1: One last note for Adelaide Crows. For anyone who's considering Hugh Greenwood, potentially more in your sort of draft formats, um, they should probably take note that he's had some abdominal muscle issues this preseason, hasn't really been able to get out on the park too much and train too strongly. Um, and unfortunately, that's pretty much his second or third preseason in a row where he hasn't really been able to get out onto the field.
0: Move on to your boys, Brisbane, where we've got a new, not a new captain, because he did it halfway through last year, but a solo captain there, Dane Zorko, might be able to be one who could rise a bit on his average this year.
1: Yeah, so just joking about this one before the start of the podcast, um, last year sort of really what separated my team, which ended up finishing in the, I think, 3, 4, 4,500-ish range, um, was that I sort of had a bit of a slow start, because I started with Dane Zorko, thought it was going to be a good pick, um, and he was, yeah, just, he dropped off about 15 20 average points before picking it up in the second half of the year but by that point in time the damage was done uh, at least for my side unfortunately i've been reading their training profiles and you know he's he's named captain supposed to be doing well in that role He's slimmed down looking for a more outside role and he's sort of wound his way back into my team <laughs> um, momentarily at least um, he's priced uh, pretty pretty temptingly in my eyes at 520,000, uh, coming off 95 average last year but two years before that looking around
0: 110 average he's potentially looking to make that jump back up yeah one player who as you mentioned last year first half of his year when you're looking at splits of first half and second half of the year which we like to do to get a good indication of who might sort of lift that average this year he was one whose second half of the year was back in that elite category so definitely one that could jump do you think the addition of neil and the removal of dane beams is better worse for his um, scoring potential maybe even just the same
1: I'm not really sure my, my gut feeling is it might be pretty similar um because zorko was starting to get the tag over beams anyway i don't think anyone's really going to be tagging neil over zorko so potentially he gets the tag every single week instead of half the time but as i said he was sort of getting a tag most weeks anyway um so yeah neil's another option there for play people who are looking at sort of your premium players um he's supposed to be in quite good form and looking quite good in the match simulations the names i've heard uh, Lockie Neal and Charlie Cameron also
0: playing a bit through the middle, looking really good in those match simulations. One interesting one from those match sims is Harris Andrews, one of the best young key defenders in the comp. Not even playing him down there, sitting up in the forward line in your match sims.
1: Yeah, so playing a bit of a swingman role. He's done this before at AFL level, um, you know, but sort of just ten minutes here and there. He's he's quite good up forward. Um, so yeah, as highly rated as he is down back, he's potentially was on his way to an All strain selection last season, um, before getting. His face crushed in by Jeremy Cameron. But um, yeah, uh, before that, he was looking quite good. Down back, he's also showed considerable talent up forward. And and as you said, yeah, playing a lot up there in match simulations. Whether this is to be a permanent move or whether this is just sort of to develop him at both ends of the grounds remains to be seen.
0: Got a few young players who are looking pretty good on the track. You got uh, Bailey, who's been running off the halfback, and Cam Rayner coming back in good nick.
1: Yeah, uh, Rayner's supposed to be looking in really good shape. And, and as you mentioned, Zach Bailey... He played off the halfback a few times at the end of last season, and he did really well. He impressed the coaches with his sort of zip. He's got speed out of the back line, and he's pretty clean with the footy as well. Um, one that I was really excited for was Jared Berry. At the start of the season, he was looking really good. He destroyed the time trials, came back. He looks like an absolute unit, like kid's a beast. But unfortunately, news is now that he has a supposedly mild case of glandular fever. Um, as we all know, can sometimes result in chronic fatigue, knock players out, or people out for quite a long time. So... Just keep an eye on him there because I thought he was primed for a huge season but now obviously sort of jumping off that bandwagon.
0: Now one that as a draft player that I'm really interested in that I was sort of waiting to get a bit of info on was Jared Lyons, great contested player from the Gold Coast who came over scot-free in one of the weirdest trade scenarios in recent times. Um, Do you have much news on him?
1: Yeah unfortunately I don't. I've been reading all you know obviously the Brisbane news that I can get my hands on talking to all the people that I can but He just seems to fly under the radar a bit, so he's playing up there now with his brother Corey, and um, I hope he's doing well, but I haven't really seen his name pop up in in too many... Uh, reports.
0: Yeah, very interesting one because I was like, oh, maybe it'll be a sneaky late draft pick I can get. Sort of like the way he played at the Gold Coast, but I have heard a few people so far this year say that they're not even sure how many games he'll play because of his hard contested style, not really a fast running player, and with these changes to the rule potentially meaning that you need to be a bit faster, have a bit more outside play, and Brisbane having a lot of those options in their young kids that they're not even sure how many games he'll play. So until we see him coming out and playing some of these practice matches, it might be be a bit of a thing where coaches can't really be confident in starting him until we know where and if he'll play in terms of
1: Supercoach relevant players um steph martin's been a mainstay in a lot of ruck positions um a lot of Supercoach sides over the years he's pretty dependent dependable for like you know 100 105 average pretty much every week he does it he does his role um word this year is that chris fagan's put his number one ruck position up for grabs um He's been sort of struggling with a few niggles here and there. He's mostly fine from what I'm hearing, just sort of being one of the older boys gets managed a bit week to week. Um, it's probably put a few people off picking him in their teams, though. so there's where the
0: Archie Smith might get a run. Yeah, definitely. Um, Archie Smith and the one of the other Macs, which one's the one that rucks a little bit? Yeah, McInerney. He's pretty
1: much locked in as the third tall slash ruck position, I'm pretty sure. So in terms of number one ruck battle, you'd be looking at Archie Smith versus Steph Martin
0: yeah interesting to note that when he did have even another ruckman who was chopping out some of his minutes his midfield time went down which is where he scores he's one that if he's in the midfield and can get the touches and tackles and those sort of things his score builds so knowing that there'll be at least another player taking some of that midfield time as chop out and then also potentially having a spot up for grabs i'd really be staying away completely in regular and for drafts i might look at a few people above him but not completely rule him out there
1: so we'll move on to the carton blues and uh a few names here the first one i think is charlie kerno i've probably i don't know if you've seen pictures of him by now but he's he's grown into that body he's just an absolute unit
0: yeah i think he looks like rafael doll as well i saw a few photos <laughs> and he's just like he's wearing those like muscle shirts and just like flexing out like rafa does but yeah looking huge those um sort of shots of him on his draft day compared to now he's pretty completely different person he's just absolutely a huge unit
1: yeah so like we all knew it was going to happen um I think he could be quite dangerous this season. I think it's he's getting to the point where he might even be sort of super coach relevant. Definitely in draft leagues, um, sort of a late pickup forward there. Not too many people draft those key position forwards. So, you know, I could see him. He covers the ground really well. He's going to be taking a lot of marks. I think he, he's good for that sort of 70 to 80 points if you're looking for one of those players who's, relatively
0: dependable there yeah it depends on the size of your league sort of will be a good late pickup for a big league but in a smaller league i think is almost even more important because he's one of these players who i can see as a really good week-to-week pickup where given a good sort of matchup against a team that you think they might score a little bit more on with the help coming this year with mcgovern going to be down there and mckay sort of getting uh, up in his development as well. He might be able to pick a few games where Kernow might be able to step up and really play some good uh, minutes and get some good Supercoach scores.
1: In terms of rookies and players that might play, I think a lot of people have Sam Walsh, obviously, in their lineups. Word is he's pretty much the best player at Carlton already, um, which is pretty impressive. Obviously, they've got Paddy Cripps down there. I think you can lock Cripps into a lot of teams too. Uh, he's in my team. I think he's in yours, Liam. pretty sure he's in every team at this point in time. Um, they've also got a few there, like Liam Stocker, um, well... Well regarded down at the Blues and said to be training pretty well. Not sure whether he'll get a gig round one, but we'll see on that one. Um, I haven't really heard a lot out of Carlton, though. I've, I've noticed from some training pictures and some footage that Cunningham looks in really good shape. He's running strongly, finishing up near, not too far behind Ed Kernow and the, you know, sort of athletic freaks in those time trials. So potentially one to look for there, but otherwise not hearing a lot of news out of Carlton.
0: Yeah, the only other thing we hear is obviously... Uh, Gibbons coming into that lineup apparently is impressed so much at training already locked into their starting midfield I think round one and he's sort of one of these players where him coming into the side means players like Stocker probably get a few less games this year and I really expect that probably a whole lot of super coaches will start with Cripps and Gibbons and also potentially Walsh if we see him sort of running up in JLT
1: So if we move on to the Pies there's one player I'd like to, to raise and we sort of didn't really uh, discuss him then when we were talking about defenders but Jack Crisp um, he was around about that top A, I I think 10th or something, best defender last season. Um, I think he would have been a good pick going into this year. You know, he looked really good last season, but unfortunately he's been struggling with injuries, so maybe a stay away one there. He hasn't really been able to do any contested work, hasn't really touched the football so much this preseason. Um, doing a lot of running, still looks relatively fit, so maybe in the in the latter half of the year an upgrade option, but... At this stage, unfortunately, I think we're going to have to stay away from Crispy.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good call. Another player who might take some minutes in that running off halfback was one of the younger players we mentioned earlier, Isaac Quayne, or sort of that, uh, they pretty much drafted a player that looked like a bit like Herdia Lumumba, sort of got that running style as well, um, running off halfback, trying to get a plug-in play player there.
1: Yeah, he looks really good. He's uh, impressed in the match simulations they've been having. Lots of reports saying that he's, you know, got that AFL-ready body and, and should get some games. In what is a pretty star-studded lineup, so I was looking through the uh, you know the, the match reports and, and reading as much as I could on the pies and just reading all the names through their midfield is ridiculous. Obviously, everyone knows it, but you've got Panderbry, you've got Beams, Trelaw, Adams, Sidebottom. You know, you've got the young kids there like Sear, the list goes on. Their, their midfield is ridiculous.
0: Yeah, someone's getting pushed out and someone's getting hit with the scores. I think Pendles probably gets pushed out, will play some more time off the halfback this year, and I think it's probably Adams that his score build will hurt having all these other players taking those key midfield time away from him.
1: In terms of Supercoach Trail from players, I think from Collingwood, the, the biggest sort of interest here are who's not playing, who's not training, and that's Brody Grundy. He's had a few weeks out with a Bruce Toe. Um, you've got Jeremy Howe who's been out for a lot of this preseason Will Hoskin-Elliot and then recently Jordan Degoe he's landed on his ankle um, word is he's got a midfoot sprain he looked in a bit of pain but eventually he was walking off so I think he's another one where I think he might have been a good super coach pick but now I'm sort of shying away a bit
0: yeah after his performance at the end of last year I see a lot of people trying to squeezing into their regular teams or at least looking at him very heavily in draft um, I can't see him getting more midfield time this year with Dane Beams coming in but um definitely a player that you can still look at i don't think this sprain is going to hold him back too much but it's one of those things where you're gonna to have to wait and look at the injury reports to see if he's held out for very long but definitely someone with a lot of talent um potentially super coach scoring talent as well but not someone i'd be looking at too hard as of yet so Brody gundy obviously the big name there he's in pretty much
1: every side or max score and you know, you've sort of got to have one of them unless you're a very very bold player um yeah, Brody Groney, a couple of weeks out with a, a toe injury, bruised toe, I think someone stood on his toe there, um, rough head or someone trying to get a game. But yeah, it's not, it doesn't sound like it's too big of an issue, um, but it is an interesting one though because now he's got this injury cloud sort of over him, he's missed a bit of training, and then obviously he's trying to back up what was a, a 33 point or something rise in average, which we don't really see held too often. Um, but what other options are there in the Ruck really? So he's yeah. he's, he's coming into consideration again.
0: One of those players, we'll get to rucks in a later podcast in more depth, but we've got an extremely expensive ruckman who's going to have to share points with a lot more midfielders this year, potentially getting a score drop from more points going to those defenders from kick-ins, so definitely one that you can sort of make a case for whether or not you're going to start him, but I think at the end (laughs) we're just all going to start him anyway.
1: Yeah, I'm sure we will. Uh, Moving on to Essendon, the big, obviously, talk this season, preseason at least, about Essendon is Joe Danaher. He's obviously missed a lot of footy now. Um, Word is, latest, is that he's back doing stints with the main group. Um, He got through half an intra-club match recently, and Warsfold has said that he's aiming for round one, but not at any cost. So reading between the lines, I think he won't play round one.
0: I would be even more worried if he did play round one, and I know a whole lot of teams and a whole lot of people will be sliding him into their regular side because he's so cheap. Fantastic cash cow if he plays. But if he's playing round one, from what we hear, he's going to be taking weeks off. So if he plays round one, maybe he rests round two or round four. And If you're looking for him to get a score build and a price rise, I really don't see him playing enough games early to be that player this year. But he is one that's very interesting considering how cheap he is and maybe even in drafts will go undrafted and will be a player when he comes back and starts playing, you might look at picking up off your waiver wires.
1: Just to jump back in time a bit here, one, uh, you know, I didn't write this note down, something I had in my head for a while. Um, on Collingwood Players, again, with Darcy Moore. I've heard that he's taking some kickouts. He's quite cheap. Um, I saw him about $240,000 in regular Super Coach. So, I think it's an interesting defensive option. He's got that that defense, uh, sorry, defender forward dual position. Mm. And, yeah, now that there's word that he's playing really well in match simulation and taking kickouts, uh, I, I think it's an option.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely a very interesting option there. The defensive forward swing is very interesting because we also have uh, that Gold Coast rookie Burgess, Burgess, Burgess also with that swing so if you're going to run one in one line and the other you got a bit of flexibility there as well but he's the sort of player who as a forward I wouldn't touch him couldn't touch him in any format but as a defender you know he could pump around an 80 score and if he's taking kickouts and getting that bump as well he could com- become very relevant in a lot of formats especially as someone who's a cash cow but his body is probably the big concern and whether or not he can stay fit for long enough.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Injuries will be the, the key issue there. Um, so, speaking of injuries, jumping back to and there's been a few. So, Devin Smith had a little bit of a bicep issue. Uh, he's had one week off, supposed to be back fine. Zach Merritt is aiming to be back for the first JLT. As we probably all know, he had that injury scare back there. And then Heppel, so the other sort of big midfielder they got there, he's on restricted training. He's had some hamstring tended pain. So, there's a few uh, there's a few issue, injury issues to worry about at Bomberland at the moment, but aside from that, I think are side's looking pretty settled, and I'm not really sure we'll see too many rookies.
0: Yeah, a lot of interesting names through the midfield there, with Heppel having restricted training from hamstring tendon pain. Potentially, that would say to me that he'd start the year maybe not lining up in the middle. They like to use him off that halfback, which once again opens up some more of those midfield minutes for your Smith-type players, which I think that is an interesting set of uh, injuries to watch. Um I would really be looking at that Essendon lineup very closely for the midfield minutes to see who's going to be getting your score builds there for the club.
1: Moving on to Fremantle, um the first name off here, Connor Blakely, he's just sort of a regret, I think, that I'm gonna be listing. I thought he was locked into my team, you know. i i seen him play inside mid a couple of years back, averaged about hundred and twenty for a period of, you know, six to ten weeks, looked really good. And then uh yeah, he was just locked into my defensive lineup. Unfortunately he's gone down with a bit of an injury and we won't see him until mid season.
0: Yeah, preseason sort of Real bolter there. Everyone said he's going to get Neil's minutes in the middle. He's like a must-have, but now he's a very interesting one to keep your eyes on for your Supercoach drafts. Either a player that you want to take a late pick on, hold on to your bench if you think you're, you're getting a good lineup that can win you a lot of games and sort of hold him there for being out for a while or at least being one to watch for when he looks like he'll come back to pick up later on. Could be a really good player. Do you think that injury holds him out of that midfield for most of the year, or when he comes back at round six, he'll once again have to look in for the midfield time?
1: I think he'll get the look in. Um, they've been rating him as to move into that middle full time or, or you know, large percentage of his time for quite a while now. Um, the Neil trade, obviously, going to speed that up, speed that process up a bit, and I would expect him to see him playing midfield and, and hopefully doing well in the latter half of the year
0: few of the younger players that we can look at now that have had a lot of raps coming out of the uh, training uh, write-ups. Uh, Darcy is a very interesting one in the ruck. we Will probably depend if Sandlands is fit or not. If not, he could be a really interesting player for your super coach. And um, one that I really like is uh, Adam Chera, looking a lot bigger at the moment, put on some size.
1: Yeah, so Darcy, just to touch on that, I've, I've read from a few Fremantle trainer write-ups that he's been doing really well in the ruck. Um, and to be honest, like a lot of people saying that even if Sandlands is fit, we might see Darcy as the number one ruck. So potentially one to keep in mind there, I'm not exactly sure what his price is. Ruck's a bit of a, a strange position this year. We'll get to that in another podcast. But yeah, word is that he might be ready to take over the number one
0: ruck mantle at Fremantle. That's very interesting to hear. It's one of those things where I think if it so came out that Sandlands had a season-ending injury, I think you might see a lot of people looking at um, Darcy as that second ruck option in your regular teams. Um, one of those sort of players where we assume we'll still see Sanderland so it's not one that you could afford to start but again one that you'll look at during the preseason because I think he's got a lot of potential as a supercoach scorer
1: so in terms of the latest match simulations they've been having I think it's safe to say that Brett Booley should be locked into everyone's supercoach side at this point in time if he's not in your side get him in there now Um, he will be playing round one like pretty much as close to a lock as you've got for a rookie this season I'm pretty sure Um, lock him in in addition, he's unfortunately priced uh, 283000 in regular coach, but Sam Switkowski dominated the match uh, simulations. Uh, obviously, Nat Fife was judged best to field by most watchers, but behind him, Sam Switkowski. Um, expect him to play early and play well when he does.
0: One other player we saw in that match sim was uh, Walters limping off with a bit of a hammy cramp, one that you'd really expect to get a bit more time in the midfield with Neil gone, which they like to play him through. But I don't know if I can trust him with injuries, can you?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. So, this didn't seem to be, you know, any sort of real serious injury or really an injury at all. He just cramped up a bit in the fourth quarter um, after playing a lot of midfield and doing really well in the first three. So, it's interesting, you know, he's still got that, obviously, that talent, that ability to pump out those big scores. But, yeah, he's one of those players with the body that we're not really sure we can trust. Yeah,
0: maybe a draft option this year.
1: We'll keep it rolling on and we'll move on to Geelong. I um, never really hear a lot of word of Geelong in, in the preseason. I think Scott likes to keep his cards pretty close to his chest. Uh so, mostly we've just got some news on injuries. I think Zach Tui, we, we shouldn't really be expecting him to play round one at this stage.
0: Yeah, that's a very interesting one. Somebody who will be taking those kickouts for the club when he is in the team. So, I know a lot of people are looking at him, again, as another one of those, you know, 400 ish $1,000 players, but if he's not going to play round one, someone to start looking in different areas there. So, I've seen a few teams running Sam Menegola, because you can uh, get him in the
1: forwards this season. Uh, I've seen quite a few teams actually running Sam Menegola as one of their Ford premiums, but... From what I've been reading, um, you know, he's still training away from the main group. He's, he's looking well and he's running drills, but hasn't really been joining in with a lot of the sessions. So, uh, yeah, it's not really a pick that I would be going for at this stage.
0: Yeah, I hear a lot of clubs, uh, a lot of teams starting with Menegola because he's one of those players where he just seems to score 100 every year. And I think the reason people are liking him this year is there's a lot of talk that Ablett will be playing forward for most of the year, which opens up a bit more time for him in the middle. But he's just one of those players that seems to score 100. When you're talking forwards that can score 100, if you know he's going to get there, then it's a really safe bet for your teams. One to definitely keep an eye on for this injury if he's not even playing in training yet. Uh, it might mean that he gets a slow start and is one that you don't want to start in your regulars. But um I think for most parts should be a safe 100 average of this year.
1: Yeah, also, like with Gary Albert there being sort of pushed out of that midfield to play more time up forward. Very excited to see how he goes, um, to be honest. I think he's going to do really well up forward most of the time. But um, in addition, I think Joel Salwood, there's been a bit of a word that he might not really be playing so much at the coalface this season. Um, you know, maybe his body's starting to break down a little bit, but I think we can expect him to be playing around the ground a bit more. Um, whether that's up forward or down back,
0: I think remains to be seen. So with these players sort of moving out of the midfield, your ablets and your Selwood, do you see the players like Tim Kelly, who we can get as a forward this year, and Brandon Parfit, are these players who might get a bit more midfield scoring?
1: Yeah, so Tim Kelly, it's really interesting now that you can select him as a forward. I think that's going to see him in a lot of teams. And you mentioned, yeah, Brandon Parfit, he's a very highly rated by Cats supporters and Cats coaches. and you know, all the people around the club, and I think we can expect him to play through the middle as well. I think they also had pretty high hopes for Nakia to play through that middle a bit, but unfortunately he's he's got injured again, um, something hamstring related. Not very serious, but, you know, just another in a long line of history uh, injuries history for him, so probably one to stay away from.
0: All right, we'll move on to Gold Coast now, and uh, there's a few players, really hard one to pick, as we said, with so many players moving in and out. It's really hard to notice sort of who's stepping up in these games because we're going to have such a large sort of, in and out of players in that best 22 but um, Brandon Archie is one that sort of is looking really good in intra-club matches
1: yeah best on ground in the recent intra-club another one was Josh Corbett who's been training really well doing well in match simulations but unfortunately um, has a bit of a knee injury at the moment nothing I don't think too serious there's sort of doubts whether he'll play this weekend against the Lions in the practice match so that's on the 23rd of February I was looking forward to seeing him run around in that but I don't think we're going to get that chance at the moment Um, to Camilla looks really fit um, from what I've seen footage and from match reports he's just you know the ultimate professional comes back in good shape every year works really hard Uh, I'll be interested to see whether he's named captain I think it'll be him or David Swallow I think from a promotional sort of side maybe leaning towards Swallow there but wouldn't be surprised to see Miller get the nod
0: yeah uh, Miller would probably be my pick but I think the word at the moment is it'll probably be Swallow who's also a very good player but hearing of how good miller is doing in the match simulation play in the interclub sort of style matches he's one that probably is of all the players at um gold coast here one that might be a bit super coach relevant for your draft formats might be somebody who can step up with a few more points this year than they did having averaging last couple of years so i've been keeping an eye on gold coast reading some articles and one of
1: them is on Braden crossley uh, he's supposed to be looking fitter looking stronger looking bigger um, all that. But there was a photo of him I could pay attention to as he's rocking just an amazing hand about a mustache at the moment. <laughs> Ooh, nice. If you haven't seen it, Google it, rating closely mustache, try and find a photo because it's, it's one of the better ones
0: going around in footy at the moment for sure. That's good. We love a good Tash. Maybe that will get him one or two extra supercoach points. <laughs> I don't really know how to have to do that, but maybe an extra boost here or there. Yeah,
1: definitely. There's got to be points to Tashes, I think. Um, so, Gold Coast, they're going to have a lot of rookies. I- I've seen a lot of sides have a lot of their rookies in. We know Harrison Wig, unfortunately, went down with an injury recently. He was in most sides. Um, Word is of their draftees this season. So, Isaac Rankine, Jack lacocious and ben King. ben King, I believe. Yeah, Ben King. So, they're all expected to play at some point this year from the horse's mouth, um, from the mouth of Drew. there. not really sure when they'll be playing, but he thinks they'll get each earn games at some point. I think of the three, Rankine's probably the most likely to start round one.
0: Yeah, I think you're right there. Rankine's probably the one that you'll see play the most games and probably score the best there. But um, for people who I've heard talking about picking him up in your draft formats, I think that's a bit early there. I wouldn't expect him, especially if he's playing a lot half-forward for a Gold Coast team that won't see a lot of ball up there. um, I'd be sort of waiting and seeing how he progresses in the next few years.
1: And lastly for this podcast, we'll look at the GWS Giants. Uh, one of the other teams where, in general, don't really seem to hear a lot of news out of them. Not sure whether that's just they've got less supporters watching the trainings or anything, or whether they just like to keep their cards close to their chest as well. But um, in terms of their rookies, I think Jackson Hatley from South Australia looks the most likely to play this season, round one, although they have a quite a strong lineup. So, not sure whether we'll actually see him debut um, for round one.
0: A uh, very interesting one for super coaches, I see at a mid-price option in the forward line, Toby Green, who was a premium for our last few years, is just sitting there at 350 thousand dollars. Is he one that you'd consider starting? How's he looking on the track?
1: Yeah, he looks good on the track in terms of completing his running. He looks fit. Um, word is we're probably not going to see him in the JLT, which you know then casts that doubt as to how well he'll do early on in the season. Um, They've come out with a few articles saying, you know, oh, he's doing well, but we want him to be able to play 20 games this year, not 10, so... Taking our time. I think he is on track. You know, there's all these articles about how he's matured and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I'm not really like, he was in my team at one point because he's a really good price, but I've sort of shied away from it recently and I've traded him out. Uh, he might find his way in there again. If he's looking fit, I think at that price you kind of got to have him because he's got that scoring potential. But at this stage, he's probably not going to see any JLT time. So therefore, he's probably not going to make my side.
0: Yeah, he's one of those players where I see a lot of people sort of arguing about whether he'll miss a few games with injury this year or miss a few games with suspension. But for me, uh, you shouldn't be worrying about that if you want to pick him as an option because I see him as a stepping stone, a sort of cash cow player where you want him to play the first six, seven eight games and then he'll have earned you enough cash in that stage to sort of get up to a premium option there i don't really see him as a keeper this year i see a lot of options in that forward line that'll probably average above him keep him out of that top six so if you're looking at getting him you're looking to hopefully have him play for the first six seven eight games to get that uh, build-in price that will let you jump up to someone you think you can hold all year
1: so, in terms of super coach relevant Giants, um, I've seen Shane Mumford in a lot of teams with that ruck position. A lot of
0: teams. And yeah. A lot of other podcasts I listen to have people running Shane Mumford and just advocating Shane Mumford. What do you reckon? So,
1: it's an interesting one because I'm not sure where these people realize that he's suspended for the first two rounds of the season. <laughs> um, So, if you are running him, you know, where's your cover for the first two rounds? I guess Darcy Ford, people are expecting him to play, or Zach Clark or someone, but... Just so we are clear, if anyone is listening to this and hoping to run, shame Over, it. He is suspended for two games. I'm not yeah. sure whether
0: people know this. Yeah, he's <laughs> out for two games, so you either need someone like a Darcy Ford on your bench, who Zach Clark, whoever you think is going to be that player to cover for two weeks. Your other option is to give a throwaway player on your bench who's a ruck forward and run Justin Westoff in the forward line who you can swing through for two weeks and play a rookie from your forward line, which I think is a terrible option. I don't like the Westoff pick this year and I wouldn't waste a, a forward line player on him. As for Mumford, I know he scores high, usually averages 95, but we're talking about a player who's missed a whole year of football. who's a really large, not heavily running player, moving into a more running game. Mm. I really am not 100% sure of his scoring capability this year, but even more, I don't think he'll play close enough to the 22 games that you'd need from uh, a ruckman if you're going to play him. I don't know if he'll be playing in and out, swapping in for Dawson Simpson. No one really knows the Mumford pick. I think it's a bit of a risky one at the price.
1: Yeah, not really loving it. Um, there's a few super coach relevance giants. I guess obviously we mentioned Whitfield's in most um, in our teams at least. I think he's in a lot of teams. Uh, taking the kickouts as we mentioned, Whitfield, Shaw, and Finlayson have all sort of been rotating through that area. So interesting to note Zach Williams not taking too many kickouts at training. Uh, and then you've got a few others who are coming back from injury. The Giants injury list is actually quite long, although relatively not serious in terms of the injuries. Um, you've got Deledio who's still on a modified program as expected. I wouldn't really be picking him in regular or anything. He's not going to be playing 22 games. You can lock that in for sure.
0: And then Patton and Haynes also back running from their respective injuries. Yeah, a few interesting names there. I think Patton got a ruck status this year to go along with his forward. So I guess that makes him a bit interesting in some of the deeper draft formats. Um, I think Lids is just a midfielder. I'd stay away and pretty much everything there won't play enough games. Um, Whitfield, sure, are sort of the ones from that list that you want to sort of keep a closer eye on there try and figure out which of these players of you williams whitfield and shaw are taking the kickouts in the jlt i think that's really where most people will be looking for gws aside from you know just watching kelly do his thing is an absolute jet
1: so in theory um there's got to be some missing spot in the midfield there they obviously lost dylan shiel who was one of their first choice midfielders and and actually played a lot of midfield time because they didn't really rest him forward or back or anything so there's that one spot there. I guess those minutes will be filled by maybe a Tim Taranto or a Jack Hopper.
0: Yep, I think those are the two that have really been listed. I know a lot of people are looking at Tim Taranto this year. You can get him up forward still, I think. Oh, no, just midfielder this year, which is a bit of a change, but potentially someone that I, I know a lot of different people have been saying you can average a 100 this year. So particularly when you're looking at drafting players will be someone that you can probably get on your bench or last sort of few positions on your field in the midfield. Taranto, Um but I'm not hundred percent sold it's not gonna be Hopper that gets this major score build.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think um Taranto, he's a very good player, very good super coach scorer as well. Um same draft. Well, same same draft year as Andy McGrath, Hugh Cluggage, Jared Berry, those sort of players. So I mean that whole draft year is sort of starting to come into calculations for you actually jumping into that, you know, third year jump where we've seen some sort of superstars of the comp do it. You know, like Olivers, Fife's, Cripps take that huge jump in the third year. Taranto is one who could potentially do the same, um, although sometimes more safe to back out your sort of fourth or fifth-year players than and, and try and pick the actual third-year
0: players going to jump up like that, because it is quite rare. So that's the first half of the teams there and our burning up the track and our defender episode. We'll come back next few weeks and drop some pods looking at the different positions, some midfielders, rucks and forward, and we'll also go through the rest of those teams that we haven't gotten to as of yet. As we mentioned earlier in the episode, we might drop our uh, Excel sheet on those defender prices and uh, defender potential increases in scores. And you can also hit us up if anyone has any questions or queries that they have in their Supercoach stuff at us on Twitter at the handle at Science of Footy. You can get in touch with us there and look at our um, different um, statistical analysis that we might send out on Twitter.
1: Yeah, so look forward to hearing from some of you. We'll be back next week to talk through what we'll talk through midfielders next uh, next podcast, I guess we we'll have a bit of talk about team structures, so overall team structures, where you want your primos to be, where maybe you should look at taking more risks and picking your points of difference. And um, we'll also talk through some draft strategies. So, we're both playing a, a pretty fun, pretty competitive draft league every year, and, and we enjoy that one um, a lot too, possibly even more than regular supercoach. So, we've got a lot of tips there for everyone for their draft strategies, uh, who you can look at it and, you know, who others may be overlooking really in, in those sort of draft positions. We might also run through some AFLW. Sort of meaning to do it this week, didn't really get to it. Um, but one of the things that, just as a quick note, um, why is there not an AFLW Supercoach?
0: Apparently they have the stats for it, so we're still going to keep hounding that. Uh, we want to see that AFLW Supercoach come out as soon as possible, so we can double down. More Supercoach is good for us.
1: Yeah, I think that one, that one would be a no-brainer to me. You know, they they want people to learn the names of the the women players, you know, get more invested in the games. I think Supercoach is a great medium to get people into that, especially when. You know, everyone's chopping and changing their regular teams every day because there's nothing to do but I mean the women's comp is currently playing right now, there's a match on right now, so why is there not supercoach for it? Anyway, we'll talk about that next week. Uh, until then, happy super coaching and signing off here for the Science of Footy Podcast.